Good morning. It's good to see the presence of all that are here this morning. We are certainly indeed, as it's been said, thankful for our visitors. We're glad that you're here, and we want you to know that you're welcome here and that we would uh, want you to come back every opportunity that you have to be with us. This morning we're going to continue our series on Jesus Christ. As you know, this month we have been speaking about the different aspects of Jesus and his life, and we're going to continue that this morning. Uh, We're kind of going to step backwards a little bit uh, as some of the scheduling had been changed. And uh, so the first shall be last, the Bible says. So we're putting the the first topic of the, the series later in the month. But that's okay because as I study Jesus Christ and his life and his teachings and all the things that we have studied this morning or this month... Uh, from his childhood, his baptism, his temptations. Uh, we'll study his transfiguration, his death, burial, and resurrection, all the aspects of Jesus. We cannot uh, come to the end of any study on Jesus. It just seems like the more we study him, the more we learn, and, and the deeper that subject gets. And this morning will be no difference. As we think about Jesus, we think about this little baby that was born in a manger because there was no room for him in the end, and how sad it was that uh, this little tender flesh baby was born in such a rough condition. And we think about uh, how Jesus walked the earth, and we look at Jesus and his compassion, and people say, well, that he, he was a saint because of his compassion and sometimes when we look at Jesus, we think of him, we probably concentrate more on his humanity than his deity. And this morning I want to bring to our mind of who Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, who he was divinely. There was another side of Jesus, and that was he was God in the flesh. And so we're going to talk a few moments about that. And then at the end, we're going to, I'm going to mention a few things that mean a lot to me that God would come to this earth and do for me and show me the example that I need, that I need to be. And so we're going to start off with the same question we've just, we've kind of mentioned this morning in Matthew chapter 16, that question, who is Jesus? Uh, is no different in the time of Jesus than it is today. People look at Jesus and say, well, he's some prophet or a saint, or uh, he was just a human, a good human being. And Jesus asked his disciple this same question in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here, the same question as Jesus walked the earth. There were people who looked at Jesus and said, Well, he's just a good prophet. Or he's a saint. You know, he's just a good guy because he feeds a lot of people. And he heals the sick and he does what he can to help people. And they looked at him through human eyes and said, he's just a good human being. Or he's just a prophet of God. And that's what the disciples said. That's what mankind thinks of you, Jesus. 
And Jesus said, but who do you think that I am? And they said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this statement is what we want to concentrate on for a few moments as we study that Jesus was not just a man. That he was the Christ. He was the anointed, the chosen of God. He was the Son of God, which means he was deity. And he was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, and Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Burjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This is a doctrine of Christ. And I want to mention to you this morning that this doctrine is important. You know, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be uh, thoroughly furnished, uh, complete or perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now then, there is a doctrine in that doctrine of uh, the doctrine that the Bible gives us that I want us to note this morning, and that is the doctrine of Christ. Now, sometimes we think, well, isn't all doctrine the doctrine of Christ? Well, I believe there's doctrine throughout the, the Word of God that Christ has given to us, but there is a specific doctrine that we're dealing with this morning, and that's found in Second John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look not to yourselves that we lose those things which we have wrought, but that we have received a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ <coughs> hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any into you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. <clears throat> now then, this is a specific doctrine. And among all of the doctrines of Christ, the specific doctrine I want to mention is the fact that Jesus, or Christ, came in the flesh. That means God came in the flesh. This is a doctrine of Christ, a doctrine of Christ. And that doctrine is the important doctrine. Notice John said, many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Christ is come in the flesh, that the anointed of God is come down to the earth in flesh. Many deceivers will tell you, well, that's not God in the flesh. Jesus was just a good prophet. Jesus was just a good teacher or Jesus was just a good compassionate person. And he was all those things, but not just. <laughs> not just. In my writing, I get in trouble for putting the word just there. <laughs> but he's not just a good man. He is God in the flesh. Or Christ in the flesh. Now then, there's another word that's in this passage that's interesting that we want to note this morning. And that is, the person who denies or confesses not that Jesus is come in the flesh, or Christ is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now then, we hear that word in the world today, antichrist. And the world will tell you, well, this is some man that's going to come out of the east at the end times, and they quote these end time signs, and on and on and on. And really, it's a lot simpler than that. We don't need to get scared of the word antichrist. What we need to do is understand the word. The word antichrist means 
against Christ. That's what anti means. Anti is against Christ. So those who would deny that Jesus is Christ, that the anointed of God, the Messiah, has come to the world in the fleshly body of Jesus, and the person who would deny that is Antichrist. That's what the word means. It's not a mysterious uh, end time thing. Matter of fact, John, if you continue reading in Second John, uh, in, in the books of Second John, you'll find that he mentions the word Antichrist four times. That's all it's mentioned in the Bible, four times. And it's all right in, in these passages. And he says that there were many in the world already. At the time of his writing, there were many in the world, Antichrist, those who were against Christ. And that means they would deny that Christ, the Messiah, was come in the flesh. That's Antichrist. Now then, notice how important this doctrine is. That we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, God in the flesh. He says, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. You know, we want a relationship with God. The world says relationship, relationship. We want to have a relationship with God. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, you cannot have a relationship with God. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. If you want a relationship with God the Father, then you must go through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. Matter of fact, he continues on there and says, he that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Without Jesus, without believing that he is the Christ, God in the flesh, you cannot have a relationship with God the Father. You cannot. And that's how important this doctrine is. That we understand the doctrine of Christ. The fact that he is the anointed of God come in the flesh. It's that important. Now notice, we're going to back up and say and find out who this Christ was in the flesh. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now John begins to teach us about the Word and God. I want us to understand that the word God means deity, or having the divine qualities of being God. And so... It's more of a title. And when you read the word God, you have to read the context of the passage to understand who it's talking about. And so when it mentions God, let's read this again slowly. In the beginning was the word. We have the word of God. We have the word who was with God. Now the word with means or indicates that there was someone else there. Someone else there. And when you read about the creation in the beginning in Genesis, when it describes God, it means Elohim. There is a triune unity. We call that the Trinity in the religious world. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God created. The Word spoke and said, let there be. And whatever He said, it happened. And then it says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And he put it all together. 
And so in the beginning was the Word. We're called our attention to the Word. He was with God. He was with deity, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now notice what it says. And the Word was God. He was God. He possessed the qualities of being deity. He is eternal. He's all of the things that we would say God is. That's the Word. He possessed those things. He was God. He was with God and He was God. Notice He said the same in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Who? The Word that was God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So this Word that was God, that was with God, created all that we know and see. He spoke it into existence. In Genesis, as you read, it says, God said, and the Word spoke, and things happened. And so He was God. He was with God. Ephesians, uh, the, the writer of the letter of the book of Ephesians, uh, he writes confirming this very thing that we've talked about in John, Ephesians 3, 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So God, the eternal Father, had this plan. He's got this, this plan made out. And how does it say He created all things? It was hid in God, but it says He created all things by Jesus Christ. This baby that was born in a manger wasn't just a baby. He was the creator of all things in a fleshly body. The mystery of creation came to life in Jesus Christ. He was the creator. This creator is the head of the church. You know, I've read this passage over and over again, and, and I talk about the importance of the church. And as we're here today, uh, we worship God through the church. And there's the head of the church is, is the creator of the universe. The church is not just some social group that was created by mankind or thought up that, you know, we just need to be going to church on Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday night. The creator of the universe. Put it together. Notice what it says in Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him were all things created. Who is that? That's Jesus. By him were all things created. That are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he, who is that? That is the one that created all these things. He is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he, Christ, might have preeminence. He created all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. And so this church that we are a part of is not just an earthly organization. It was created by the creator of the universe. It's that important as we think about our participation in the Lord's body. It's that important that the creator of the universe would put this together. 
that we can be a part of his body. In Philippians 2, verse 5 through 7, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This is the passage that we find where the word was made flesh. But it's in a different wording. It means the same. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, what does that mean? That means he was deity. He possessed all the qualities of being God. Eternal, omnipotent, all-powerful, on and on. He possessed those qualities. He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, who in the beginning... Who, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? Well, he was with the Father and the Spirit. He was in the Godhead, as the Bible describes it. And what the world would call the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was equal with, with God. Now then, I use an example a lot of times about our government. And... Uh, because people get all, when you start talking to this, people say, well, you, you're telling us there's three gods. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's one God. There's one God. Just like the United States has one government. And if you've been in government class, you've, you, you were supposed to learn this. <laughs> there's one government in the United States. And it has a legislative branch. It has an executive branch. And it has a judicial branch. And all three of those branches are co-equal. Now then, you know, on the news, if you turn that on, we hear a lot more about a couple of them than we do the judicial. Or, you know, we're always hearing them fighting and arguing. And I'm not using them as the perfect example of, of God. Don't get me wrong there. But just a simple example that there is one government and it's made up of three branches. They all have a part that is supposed to make the one. Well, God, the Godhead, as the Bible describes it, is like that. You have the Father, you have the Son or Word, and you have the Holy Spirit. And they all agree perfectly, one, one with each other, in doing the mission of God and carrying out His will. They all have different parts to play. But they make up God. We have one God. And we have uh, personages within that that Godhead. And Jesus Christ, in the beginning, was the Word. He was with God. He was God. He was in the form of God. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. He was in that triune unity, that trinity, that Godhead. But it says he was made, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And what he's telling us here is this baby Jesus that was born in the manger. That was this Jesus Christ who was in the form of God, who was with God, who felt it not robbery to be equal with God. He stepped down in, in a humble obedience and was made in the likeness of man. He took upon himself flesh and came to earth. The God of heaven, creator, came to earth in a fleshly body. And John goes on in 
further in John chapter 1 and confirms this for us. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of Him and, cr- and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. Now John's talking about the Word in the beginning that created He said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father. That's Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the one born in the manger, the one that that was obedient to his parents, the one that fulfilled all righteousness, the one who was compassionate upon people and healed their sicknesses and fed them and brought us truth and grace. The one that died was buried and resurrected. This was the word God in heaven now in flesh. And John said, the one that I spake of, he he comes after me, but was before me. Now that's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? If I wrote that, someone would say, Craig, you're kind of double speaking there. (laughs) Well, it's easy to understand. When you understand who Jesus is... In God, and that he took on himself the form of flesh. He was before John, but yet he came after John in the form of flesh. He was before me, John said. He existed before, a long time before John came into the world. John the, uh, the baptizer. And you know, Jesus told the Jews one day, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He told them the same thing. That's what he was telling them. I existed long before Abraham. Because he existed as the word in heaven with God. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning verse 23, as we read about the birth of Jesus into the world in this body of flesh, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. (coughs) The word Emmanuel or the name Emmanuel means God with us. When we look at Jesus in the Bible, who was born in Bethlehem, he is God with us. God on the earth in a body of flesh. He wasn't just a man. Yes, he had humanity. He was 100% human in the, in the sense that he was in this body of flesh. And he felt the pain and agony that you and I feel. The emotional discomfort. He, he was human A hundred percent in that way, but he was a hundred percent God. Deity in the flesh. And you know, the more I think about that, the more it means to me. Because my creator thought enough of me to come to this earth in a body of flesh. And to experience the things that I go through. To know how I feel. To give me an example of how to deal with it. And how to walk this earth and this life. There are no other gods that will do that. That the world teaches. False gods. All the gods of Egypt that they knew. None of their gods would do that. 
But our God will do that. Our God did that. He came to this earth and he lived an example for us. And there's four points that I want to mention this morning about what our God did and left an example. And I use these things in my life to help me through troubled times. I use these things to to look at Jesus and say, how did he deal with this? And these things have helped me. And these four things are the, the fact that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus faced the temptations we that we do. And those things were talked about. We're going to mention uh, just a few things here in a minute. But secondly, he learned obedience. That's an interesting statement. That he learned obedience. He cried to him who could save him. Yes, Jesus cried out to God the Father because he was the only one that could save him. And that's where he went when he needed help. And lastly, he trusted in God. And if we will follow this example that Jesus did, it will help us in this human life. Let's talk about this being tempted at all points. We had an excellent, excellent lesson this, this month on the temptations of Christ. And so we'll not reiterate all of those, but what we want to do is examine this idea that Jesus was tempted in all points. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now, every one of us has an infirmity. Now, that's a, probably a word we don't use much. Infirmity simply means a weakness. Each one of us have a weakness. It may be a bodily weakness. It may be a mental weakness. It may be the fact that we're just sick uh, in, a, in a physical way. We have weaknesses. We have this infirmities in our body. And it says that we have not a high priest which can't be touched with, cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, which means that he is our high priest and that he understands or he's touched by our weaknesses. He understands your weakness. Whatever it may be, he understands it. Because he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived this life and he understood what it meant to be hungry. He understood what it meant to be rejected by his closest friends. He understood what it meant to be mocked and laughed at and spat upon. He understood what hardship in life is. He, He faced all of the temptations perhaps that we have in a way without sinning. So he's experienced those things. In John, 1 John 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I use this passage to show that all of the things that we touch are, are tempted by are categorized into one of three, these three areas. Our temptations come from the lust of our, our eyes. Our temptations come from the lust of our flesh, the desires of our flesh. This human body. And our temptations come from the pride of life. You know, perhaps, and I've said this a time or two, but perhaps the greatest 
sin of all of these, or to me the greatest temptation, is that pride of life. There are times that we commit sin of the flesh, sin of the eye, and that if only our pride would let us repent of that, we could be forgiven. Sometimes our pride stands in the way of us and God. But all of the the temptations that we face can be placed under one of these three three things. And so when it says Jesus was tempted in all points, as we are yet without sin, he was tempted with the lust of the flesh. He was tempted with the lust of the eyes. He was tempted with the pride of life. And so when we have this high priest, it says he understands what you're going through. He understands how you feel. When your friends reject you. He understands when people mock you. He understands that. And he can be a compassionate high priest. A compassionate judge. He can go before God. That's what a high priest did. He went before God and offered sacrifices for the people. He stood between man and and God. And Jesus as our compassionate high priest. Who understands our infirmities. Can do that. He can approach God. In a way that we can't because of our weaknesses. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. And so when we worship Jesus and submit to him. We can be confident that he understands where we're at in life. He understands our weaknesses and our infirmities. And to me that is a great, a great comfort. Because there's sometimes when we're tempted by temptation. And we don't know where to turn. We don't know what to do about it. And we can go to God. Because he does. He's, been, he's felt those things. He understands your temptations. He learned obedience. In Hebrews 5 verse 8 it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. And this is to me an interesting statement. Was Jesus so rebellious that he didn't know what... Obedience was before coming down to flesh? No. He knew what it meant to obey. He submitted to the Father. He knows what it means to do what he's told. So what does this verse mean? That he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Well, here's the way I like to think about it. When things are going good for us, it's easy to obey God. Right? Life's good. Jesus said, go to church Sunday. We do that. That's easy. But what about when we suffer? What about when things are going bad? What about when our heart is broken? Is it so easy to obey God then? No. You see, that's when we want to give up on God. When things aren't going well, we say, God's not helping me. So I'm just giving up. I don't want to go to church this morning because life is is bad. I've been dealt uh, a, a bad card. Things aren't going my way. I'm suffering. And so we want to give up on God. 
When it says he learned obedience by the things he suffered, he's talking about a time when he suffered. What Jesus did was he tested this obedience, this idea of being obedient during the time of suffering. That's what Jesus did. When he was suffering under the beatings of mankind, when he was suffering because his friends had fled, when people spat in his face, when they hung him on the cross, do you think it was easy to obey God then? It was hard. Because you and I, that's the time we'd give up. That's the time we would throw up our hands and say, it's just not worth it. And the truth is, that's the time when we need to obey. That's the time when we need to be steady with God. When we need to be trusting with God. Jesus put this idea of being obedience or the power of obedience to the test during his suffering. And he was successful. He was successful. He was obedient to God and he was successful during his suffering. Matter of fact, the Jews said that he trusted in God. He cried to him who could save him. Hebrews 5 verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. When we suffer, a lot of times we go... Outside of Jesus Christ. A lot of times when we suffer, we want to go to our friends in the world. And we want to complain about how life is. And we want to get their advice. And the truth is, they're suffering too. They don't have the answers. A lot of times they're in worse shape than we are. But we want their advice. We want their their uh, their ideas. When the truth is, we need to be going to God. Jesus cried to the only one that could save him. That's the only one. Jesus didn't go to humans and say, you need to save me. You don't need to do this. What he did was he went to God. It says he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. That's what a supplication is. You know, we talk about prayers. We have Prayers for our food, and we pray at night before we go to bed. Those are prayers. But a supplication is a specific type of prayer. A supplication is where you don't know what to do, and you don't know where to turn, and you lie on your bed at night, and you're crying, God, help me. That's a supplication. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to say it. But you cry to God. And Jesus, as he was beginning his, uh, his final days, he, in the days of his flesh, he offered up these prayers and supplications with strong kind and tears. Well, who did he offer them to? To the one that could save him. He offered it to God. He's the only one that could save him. And the word of God tells us that God heard him in that he feared That's what Jesus, he was afraid. Here was God in the flesh. And you know what? God was experiencing something that he had never experienced before. 
You know, God had never died before. He'd never experienced that. And now God in the flesh was going to experience death. And so he cried to God who could save him. And God said, I hear you. And I know you fear. But you need to trust me. You need to trust me. In 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And there are times in our life when we have great care. And he said, you bring that to me. You bring that care. That that word care means your anxiety. Those things that bother you the most. He said, you bring it to me. And we bring those things to God and say, here, fix it. That's not what he said. He said, you bring your cares to me. But then he says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. We can't stand up to God and say, I've got this problem, God, and you've got to fix it. That's not what he says. He said, bring me your cares and then trust me. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And someone looks at Jesus and say, well, how did that, how did God help Jesus? He suffered and died on the cross. God helped him through it. And then you know what happened? God trusted, or Jesus trusted God and it said, he exalted Jesus. He exalted him. He raised him from the dead and he's sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. Because he humbled himself and he trusted God. The very Jews that hung him on the cross or that cried crucify him said he trusted in God. He trusted God. His enemy said he trusted God. When the world looks at you as a child of God, can they say that person trusts God? Are we the kind that we give up when things get tough? We want to give up on God. We demand God fix our problems or we weren't going to serve him like that's a threat. Humble yourself before God. Trust him Pray to him, take your cares to him, and then trust him because he will exalt you in due time. The Jews said he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And it wasn't a few hours till God delivered Jesus. Gave him a tomb to lay in and resurrected him. And the Bible says that his soul was not left in hell or the grave or Hades. And his body did not see corruption. He wasn't in there long enough for his body to rot. God raised him up. Jesus conquered the grave because he trusted in God. And I'm going to tell you something. As we struggle in life, we need to trust God more now than ever. Because Jesus is going to be our judge. Matter of fact, John chapter 5 verse about 22 says, For the Father judges no man, but he has committed all judgment unto the Son, 
that we would honor the Son as we honor the Father. When you stand before God on the day of judgment, you will not, God the Father will not judge you. Because he's left that in the hands of the Son. He's left it in the hands of Jesus. The righteous judge. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. When we trust God and we are obedient to Him, even during the times of suffering, and we have enjoyed the salvation that He has offered us, the righteous judge will give you that crown. But I want you to notice the word righteous. Righteous does not mean, I'm just going to let you slide. Righteous means that He's going to judge righteously. And when you go before Jesus and you say, Lord, you just... I had all of these hard times in life and I suffered and I feel like I didn't meet up to your standards and, and, and I tried the best I can. Jesus is going to say, I understand. I was there. I felt your pain. I know what you went through. And he's going to judge righteously. But on the other hand, he's going to know when you, when you say, Lord... You know, I had some hard times, and yeah, I didn't do exactly what you wanted me to do, but you know, I was really suffering. The Lord's going to know your heart. He's going to know if you're serious or not. He's not going to be one we can pull the wool over his eyes, because he's lived it, and he's been there. And he's going to know. He's going to see your heart. Because he's a righteous judge. <clears throat> the lesson for us to learn today. The God of heaven. Came to this earth. <clears throat> in a fleshly body. And he showed us how to live. He showed us the path to walk. He has offered us forgiveness for our sins. But he has also given us a way that we can be strengthened during the times that we suffer. We're tempted. Just like Jesus. We're tempted. We have a hard time struggling with life sometimes. But Jesus showed us how to deal with that. We must learn obedience. Oh yeah. Someone says I go to church all the time. I read my Bible every night. But when you suffer. But when you suffer. Are you obedient to God or do you give up on him? We learn obedience through the things that he suffered. We cry out to God. Are we looking to the right one when we suffer and we need answers for our problems? Are we going to the world? I'm going to tell you, if you go to the world for the answers to your problem, you're going to the wrong people. When you need answers to life and your suffering and your problems, you need to cry To Jesus Christ. He's got the answers. It amazes me when we open the book. And we read this is what God says. That will help you in your life. And someone says that won't work. I've heard it millions of times. That won't work. And my answer is. It will work. You have to trust it. You have to trust it. 
Just like Jesus trusted God as he was hanging on the cross, he trusted God. That what God said was right. What God said was going to work. And thank God he did. Because when he died and he was resurrected, you and I have a chance to have our sins washed away. You and I have an opportunity to have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, God in the flesh. This morning, if you're subject to the gospel call, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That wasn't just a good man that said that. That was God in the flesh that said that. And if you're subject to that call this morning, we want to invite you to be obedient and trust your Lord, calling on His name this morning, doing that. If you're a child of God and you've not trusted, if you've not stayed with God during your hard times and you need help, and you need prayers of strength, we're here to pray with you and for you. To lift you back up so that you can trust in God and be faithful to Him. And if we can help you in that way, come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.